Well, please join me now in Psalm 7. Psalm 7, as we continue talking about the fact that God is great, and today we take on the attribute of God that God is just. And in our country right now, there's a lot of focus on justice and injustice. And of course, this all began when there was a concern for justice for George Floyd, who was killed. And, and even now, we watch justice unfold. The person who did the crime has been arrested, charged, and then we wait for sentencing, and we would expect a very long prison term for the police officer who did that. But this has led to a broader conversation about a need to ensure that there is equal justice, regardless of the color of the skin that you have or what neighborhood that you live in. But then added to that, another layer is there has been lawlessness on the streets in many cities, including our own city. And so we've seen things like rioting and violence and businesses destroyed and police officers assaulted. In some places, police officers even killed. And we'd say that also is a terrible injustice. And so we want justice, but not every solution that's been chanted in the streets or Blasted on social media is really a good solution. Sometimes we hear those things being said and we go, well, I don't know if that would solve injustice. That might just lead to further injustice just at the hands of different people than these other people. So what's our take on the topic of justice? Well, if we're thinking biblically and if we're full of the Holy Spirit, we're grieved by any and all injustice that we see. Certainly as God's people, we want equity. Here, here we are, a church family. We have people from many different nations who are part of the Staples Mill family. And so we wouldn't want, well, some of us to get certain laws for us and other people have different laws. We say we wouldn't want that. We want complete equity for everyone. In fact, we know that this isn't just an American concern. We, we want equity and equal treatment for people all over the world. You do know that a problem with injustice is not a recent American problem or, or over the last several hundred years. It's not an American problem. It's all over the world. One of my Indian friends sent out on Facebook that a concern for what's happening here, but also saying, you know, we deal with injustice all the time here in India as a Christian minority in a, in a country dominated by Hinduism, in some cases, radical Hinduism and also Islam. And so they know something about injustice. You know, I'm even grieved about the Uyghurs. The Uyghurs are a Muslim people group in China, and they are treated horribly there. It, you know, the, the term concentration camp is not too strong for what the Uyghurs endure. Forced sterilization, forced abortions on, these, on the Uyghurs. So even though they're not my brothers because they're Muslim, I still concern for them. And wouldn't it grieve your heart to know that's happening to people by the millions in a place like China. So against this painful backdrop of injustice, all over the world, we have an opportunity now to gaze into the beauty of our God, who is a God of complete justice. Here's the definition of that attribute of God. Justice is an attribute of God that manifests his holiness. God is just means that he always acts in a way consistent with the requirements of his character as revealed in his law. He rules his creation with rectitude. That means correctness. He keeps his word. He renders to all his creatures their due. We're going to see this in Psalm 7, but here's Psalm 119, verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. In fact, those words, justice and righteousness, that we find in our Bibles, really that comes from the same family of words, the same idea. When we talk about God being just, God being righteous, that's the same biblical idea. 
So God's righteousness, one person said, is this. God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. If you think about your knowledge of the Bible, there's a lot of legal language in the Bible. We read about laws. We read about transgressions of those laws. We read about guilt and we read about judgment. And aren't you glad the Bible also records how people like us can be declared innocent. We can be saved rather than condemned through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. So with that backdrop, let's dive now into Psalm 7 and let's get started here. Verse 1. O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. Or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. So what, what's happening here? This is David writing this psalm, and he's on the run from Saul and Saul's armies. Now I want you to feel that with me. Imagine that that's you. Imagine you're in David's predicament. You're being pursued. They want to kill you. That is injustice. Because David would say, I, I didn't do anything worthy of being hunted and hated and marked for death. But that was the injustice that David was going through at this time. And so it's a reminder again, injustices among human beings are not new. It's always been bad. To be misjudged is a type of injustice. To be hated, to be persecuted for righteousness. This has been going on forever. So, so people are frequently unjust. But God, as we're going to see, is perfectly just. So what does David do as he suffers this grand injustice in his life? He's running for his life from the king for something he did not do. He was never disloyal to Saul. But Saul wants him dead. What's he do? He prays. <laughs> he prays and he writes this. And here in this prayer, he expresses several things. First of all, he expresses an acceptance of God's justice. He expresses an acceptance of God's justice. Look at verse 3. Oh, Lord, my God, if I've done this, in other words, if I've done what Saul is accusing me, oh, my God, if I've done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I've rewarded evil to my friend or have plundered him who without cause was my adversary, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life down to the ground and let my glory lay my glory in the dust. David saying, if I did it, God, I appeal to you. You just go ahead and let him get me because I know you're just. I didn't do it but I would accept your justice. Next thing we notice is he makes an appeal for God's justice. Verse six, arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself for me, for you have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples encompass you and over them return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, my integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous, for the righteous tri God tries the hearts and minds. So here David affirms, God, you're righteous. I need you to fight for me. I need you to come through for me. I'm appealing God for your justice. And then we see this, a declaration of God's justice. He celebrates it. And on the run for his life, he praises God for his justice, even though he's dealing with injustice. Verse 10, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword and he has bent his bow and made it ready. He has prepared himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Now jump down to verse 17. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. 
So we've looked at David here talking about righteousness, talking about justice while he's dealing with injustice. Now I want us to spend some time now applying this to ourselves. What does this mean to us? First of all, first point of application, know this about God. As you have an understanding of what God is like, we've been talking about how he's holy and he's love and he's omnipresent, all that. Add to that your biblical understanding that God is just. And like David, it should lead you to praise God. David models this for us, that this thrilled him even in a world with so much injustice. In fact, this has been very practical for me this week. I don't know how you're processing everything in the news. I find myself having very little appetite to watch a lot of news. And I used to be a news junkie. And I find very little appetite to spend time on social media because it's all negative. And so we've also seen some really very bad laws come into effect July 1st in our commonwealth. Laws that are aimed against religious liberty. So I'm grieved by that. So, so how, do, how do I steady myself? How do we steady ourselves? Listen, these attributes of God, these are very practical because they're true. First of all, the sovereignty of God we've been talking about. That God's plans cannot be stopped. His plans cannot be thwarted by mere men or any of these laws. And so, God, you have sovereignly allowed that. That steadies me. But also this, God is a God of justice. And evil will not always reign. There will be a day of reckoning. And so that is comforting here. So in our text, we just need to know this about God. Know this, that God is just. This is another perfect attribute of God. He cannot fail to give justice. He is just. Now, added to that, we understand he's omniscient. He knows everything. That ensures he's going to be able to know who gets what justice. And he's omnipresent, meaning he's never missed anything. He'll get justice correct 100% of the time. This should cause our hearts to rejoice, even in a crazy world. Verse 17, David says it on the run for his life. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness. Oh, you and I can do the same thing. Understand this, God is just, he's the standard of what's right and wrong. He doesn't have to consult somebody else. Well, you tell me what's right and wrong. God is the standard of what's right and wrong. He is just. Notice secondly, he is judge. God is judge. Our text tells us this several times. Verse eight, the Lord judges the peoples. Verse 11, God is a righteous judge. Do you know that about God? He's just, he's a judge and he'll get it exactly right. One writer described God as judge this way. God is the supreme and absolute judge of all the earth. God's right to be judged is based primarily on three divine attributes. God's absolute righteousness, that's what we've been talking about. Two, God's infinite knowledge of the secrets of man's life. And three, God's irresistible power to bestow rewards or to inflict punishment. God's throne is eternally set for judging mankind righteously. His unimpeachable character makes any kind of error in his judgments utterly impossible. God always judges according to truth. He will render to every man according to his deeds. His judgments are not vitiated or corrupted by such human faults as favoritism, superficial appearance, fleshly standards, or bribe-taking. Thus, God's will, not man's, becomes the standard of all judgment. God is just. God is judge. Now catch this. God will judge. Sometimes that's the breakdown in modern Americans' understandings. We, the people say, well, nobody can judge me. Sometimes people throw in, nobody can judge me but God. But I think then they forget, and he will. It's like, he wouldn't. I mean, nobody can judge me but God, and he wouldn't. <laughs> but the Bible is very clear. God will judge. Evil will not prevail on his earth. God is not indifferent toward evil. 
God will dispense perfect justice. We see it here in our text, but how about Psalm 9-8? And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples, catch it, with equity. So this is God's nature. He's just, he's judged, he will judge. So you and I can be confident that our God will judge. Now, sometimes we struggle. We think, I, I wish he would judge now. What is he waiting on? This feels like the evil is winning on the earth. You ever feel that way? How, how can the, those who are evildoers, those who are rejecting God, how can they have it so well? And how can they be winning elections and getting their laws passed? And how can this be happening on God's earth? Listen, judgment's coming. Sometimes in the Bible, we see immediate judgment. We see Sodom and Gomorrah. God did rain down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. We know about that great worldwide flood that Noah was a part of. And, and so God sometimes does. I'm not waiting till the final day of judgment. I'm going to act now. But typically we're told in the scriptures, it's coming. And there is a day of judgment coming. It's important to know that. We read in Psalm 73 about a man who almost lost his faith because he forgot about the judgment to come. He looks like the bad guys are winning always. And he said, we righteous people, we're suffering every day. This is not fair. And he says, oh, but then I remembered their end. I remember there's a day of judgment coming. Psalm 73 is so wonderful. How, how comforting it is that your God is just and he's God of judgment and he's bringing it and he will, not, he will not look past evil forever. A day has been set. In fact, know this. Every day God doesn't bring judgment and a person continues in his or her sin. They are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. In other words, their criminal record in the sight of God is just adding up. It's not being ignored. Their record is getting lengthier and lengthier, and God's anger is getting stoked, and there's a day of judgment coming. We know that from Romans 2.5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. We're just talking about we need to know this about God, that he's just, that he's a judge, and that he will judge. In fact, do you know what that final judgment is going to look like? This is Revelation 20. So important. I want to read you this. This is Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Here, the final judgment. Now, believers in Christ won't be in this judgment. But this is what will be left for all unbelievers, and it's quite fierce. Revelation 20, verse 11 and following. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, catch it, every one of them according to their deeds. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is a judgment coming. Evil will not be passed over forever. Revelation 21, the very next chapter, talks about this further. This is verses 5 through 8. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God. and He will be my son. Now catch this. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
a day of judgment is coming. And it will be perfect justice. God won't get it wrong in any case. So be sure all the cries for justice on the earth are being heard and it's coming. In fact, here we read in Revelation about hell. And here is the ultimate justice for the ultimate offense. The ultimate offense of unbelief. Refusing to acknowledge that you need a savior. I don't need a savior. Jesus' death was totally unnecessary because I'm good enough to make it on my own. If there even is an afterlife, as some would say. That's the ultimate offense, and hell then is described. In fact, nobody spoke of hell more than our loving Savior, Jesus. Jesus clearly knew why he came, what he was saving us from, from our sins and from that condemnation that we deserve. But then when we come back to that question, why does God wait? I mean, why doesn't he just hasten day, bring us to the great white throne, that judgment, take the believers to heaven? Why is he waiting? 2 Peter 3, 9 explains that. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Aren't you glad God waited on you? I mean, I pray almost daily, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready for him to come. <laughs> but I know why he waits. It's another day for us to share the gospel. It's another day for him to bring his harvest to himself through our evangelism and missions. But, but oh, what justice is coming. And so understand this about God. Know him, he's a God of justice. He's bringing judgment. But also know this, God's wrath is good and it's compatible with his love. God's wrath, know this, God's wrath is good and it's compatible with his love. Did you notice verse 11? It's very interesting. Verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. Does it surprise you to hear that God has indignation or, or we could say anger or wrath every day. Listen, God's wrath towards sin is a consistent truth seen throughout the scriptures. John 3, 36. So we know John 3, 16, but John 3, 36 says this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. Catch this. But the wrath of God abides on him. So the person who's rejected Christ, wrath of God perpetually abiding on that one. Or Ephesians 2, 3 tells us that because of sin, we're by nature children of wrath. And so God's wrath, his anger, his indignation is an outworking of his perfect holiness that we've talked about. God is not ambivalent towards sin. God's not indifferent towards sin. Because he's holy, sin is a great offense to him. Now, God's able then to possess his wrath in perfect harmony with his other attributes. He possesses his holiness perfectly with his love and all these attributes. Now, you and I can't do that. That's why this might be troubling for some of us. What do you mean he has indignation every day? Then that means he ceases to be loving. No, that's you and me who do that. You ever had a bad day at work? Maybe somebody snaps at you at work, and then you come home, and you have a hard time being loving and kind and patient with your family. They're like, what happened to you? And, and the problem is something happened to you at work. You were frustrated. You were treated unfairly, whatever, and that just clouds your ability to be loving and present with your family. God has no such trouble like that. God's never frustrated. He's angered <laughs> and judgment's coming, but, but God's able to continue to be loving at the same time. So he can have indignation every day and still perfectly love at the same time. God can possess his holy wrath and completely love all at the same time. He can simultaneously judge a hardened sinner here while at the same time helping one of his children over here, no trouble. So listen, the anger of God should not surprise us if we're thinking and paying attention. It's the grace of God that should surprise us. 
It's the love of God that, you think, whoa, God would be, he would be willing to forgive sinners? Who's like that? But if we're paying attention to all the evil on the earth, if you think you and I are disturbed by the evil of the earth, a holy God looks at all this evil and injustice on the earth and all this rejection of everything that he's taught us is good and right. The world has flipped everything that he's taught. And, and to think that God's not moved by that, listen, it's amazing that he's as patient as he is. It's amazing he would have grace and mercy. So his anger, again, is a reflection of his holiness. And his anger is also a reflection of his love, isn't it? You ever been angered somebody hurts your child? And uh, if you act like, oh, well. No, just, you don't love your child if you're not, like, I, I need to defend them. So there's, there's a righteous anger, like, that, that's not good. And here's God looking at his earth and loves his children, those who put their faith in Jesus. The fact that he, have, he would have a righteous indignation, that he would have wrath every day makes sense. It's in harmony with his holiness and it's in harmony with his love. Here's one way to know if you have a fictional God that you've created in your mind. If the God that you follow and believe in could never get angry, you have a fictional God. That's the God of American culture right now, a, a God who's infinitely permissive and a God who would really never judge. That's not the God of the Bible. You'll never find that God here. But here's good news. Though God does have fierce anger, God is slow to anger. Aren't you glad? <laughs> so glad of this. I could give you eight examples here that I put in my notes, but how about for the sake of time, let me just give you three of these. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, here it is, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. The prophet Joel spoke the same way. This is Joel 2.13. And rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Or how about Nahum? Nahum 1.3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. In fact, this was a thing that bugged Jonah so much. Remember, God gave Jonah the assignment, go to Nineveh, preach to them. Jonah, Jonah said, I'm not going there. And then he tells us later why he wasn't going to go. He says to God, because I know you're slow to anger. And if they repent, you won't judge them. He wanted them judged. Jonah was upset that God was slow to anger. Oh, let's rejoice that God is slow to anger. He possesses his anger perfectly. So we're just talking about God's justice. He's even able to possess his anger righteously. But let's, another layer of application here, let's just confess we don't handle our anger, our anger as well as God does. Not even close. God never sins with his anger. It's perfectly handled, but you and I are not that way. If we're being honest, most of our anger is foolish and regrettable. Wouldn't you agree? And this is one of the reasons I can't spend a lot of time on social media these days. I never have really enjoyed it a whole lot for lots of annoying reasons. But then, uh, but in these days, Sometimes people I agree with, they're just popping off. And that anger can be quite annoying, making regrettable. People can sound like grouchy old men on social media. Like, hey, I agree with you, but come on. Foolish rants from all sides. In fact, we're told in the scripture to avoid foolish controversies. And it seems to be on social media, there's a lot of foolish controversies. And we have to remember that our anger typically fouls up justice. We think, I'm mad and I'm going to do something. Well, not so fast. If you're mad, hold off a minute. Have you ever had regrets in parenting? You get mad and you say some things you wish you hadn't said. Like, had I had a cooler head, I still could have handled a real wrong that's happening here, but I wouldn't have been so severe with my words. Or you can blow your testimony with anger. God has no such problem. He can possess his anger in perfect holiness, but you and I 
don't get it right a lot of times when we're angry. We have imperfect knowledge. You ever misjudge somebody? You misjudge the situation? I am so mad. And you pop off and you realize, oh, I didn't have the whole story. <laughs> My bad. It's kind of hard to reel those words back in. So, so what do we do with our anger? We're just taking a moment here looking at God's justice, his righteous anger. Let's just, we need this, I think. I need this. What do we do with our we're anger? Listen, here's what Proverbs 14 tells us. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. That sounds like God. God wants us to be like him. And aren't you glad by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can create these things in us and give us patience to hold back. Or how about James 1, 19 and 20? This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I love this. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. This is a good reminder. God doesn't need my anger. He's not going to use my anger. So what do we do with anger? I, got, I need to feel it, of course. I did. I need to evaluate it. Is this righteous? Is this something that would anger God? Or is this just selfishness? Am I, is my pride wounded? What's, what's going? Why am, I, why am I so angry? And then I need to give it to God. And then any response I make, Lord, is this, would this please you? Is my response to this, even if it's a righteous cause, is my response pleasing you? Is this how you would have me engage with this? Remember, God doesn't, doesn't need your rage. He doesn't need your vengeance. That actually is counterproductive to what God is doing. And now, now one final per point on this topic of God being just is this. God is just and must carry out justice against our sin. This was a lot more fun of a sermon when we were thinking about those crazy people out there in the world and their crazy laws and their rioting and what they're doing. That's, they're just so bad. But then we remember, wait a minute, God is a God who's just. And he doesn't give anybody a pass with their sins. Everybody's sin has to be dealt with here. And so God can't look at a person and go, you know what, in your case, don't worry about it. We would never think a person is just if they did that. So we think about our local judges here. And imagine if somebody were brought before one of our local judges and he had 30 reckless driving charges. And that the judges said, you know what, I'm going to give you a warning 31. Nobody in that courtroom would think, well, that's seems about right. You think this guy's incompetent and this is an injustice. This guy's going to kill somebody. There needs to be justice. We would see that. Listen, likewise, God can't look at us with our thousands and thousands and thousands of sins, the things we've done, the things that we should have done, that we said, I will not do, all that sin, attitudes and actions and words and all that. And God can't go, and you know what? We're just not going to worry about that. That's an injustice. Listen, we need to know this. God is just. And that applies to us as well. When I first started reading the Bible as a 16-year-old lost guy in my bedroom in the evenings. I was reading in the book of Jeremiah. I think a little booklet I had in my room was a reading plan. And so it got me in Jeremiah. It was a weird place to start as an unbeliever. <laughs> but one thing it did for me, I thought God is powerful and he's warning through Jeremiah, his sinful people, Israel. And I remember I'm reading, I'm acting like I'm on God's side. I'm not realizing the condition of my heart yet. I'm just reading along thinking, why won't God judge him? He keeps saying he's going to judge him, get him. And then over some time, I realized, wait a second, I'm not on God's side. I've been sinning terribly my whole life. And realize this justice that I'm reading about applies to me. What am I going to do about that? So God is just. He's omniscient. We need to understand judgment awaits us. God's wrath, apart from Christ, abides on us. J.I. Packer said this. He said, the entire New Testament is overshadowed by the certainty of a coming day of universal judgment. And by the problem thence arising, 
How may we sinners get right with God while there's still time? So a day of universal judgment is coming. How can sinners like us get right with God while there is still time? Here's the best news ever. Without betraying his own justice, God provided a way that you and I could be pardoned for our sin. God who is just can justify us. Here's the good news. Forgiveness is available through the cross of Jesus. This is where God resolved the problem. God did punish our sins on the person of Christ. Jesus took our sins upon himself. God didn't just look the other way and say, don't worry about it. God worried about it. God dealt with it. This was the plan of God. Jesus came, the sinless lamb. He lived a perfect life. And the mission was this, yes, to heal and love and teach and show us what God is like, but to go to the cross where your sins and my sins were attributed to him. And Jesus died for those. He was condemned for our sins. He had no sins of his own. The, the righteous wrath of God satisfied in Jesus, the Holy One who died in our place. Listen, that's the love of God and the holiness of God and the justice of God all going on at the same time. Your sins had to be dealt with. Aren't you glad the Lord did this? And then these promises apply to us who have believed. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or Romans 3, 26, for the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The cross of God is God's revelation, the cross of Jesus. Listen, this is not like a presidential or governor's pardon. Sometimes we see those and go, I, I don't know that justice was served there. They just let the guy go. This isn't that. This is Jesus, where the Bible uses the word propitiation, where Jesus accepted the wrath of God for our sins on himself and was raised from the dead. And so that's why we began singing today that Jesus is our hope. He's our living hope because Jesus died for our sins. Our great sin has been atoned for. The wrath of God that's very real has been satisfied. And now there's no wrath left for us. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The judgment for your sins already happened on the cross if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. The judgment to come, the great white throne, that's for those who have rejected Christ. So if you have not yet trusted Jesus, would you flee to him today? Allow him to forgive your sins. He took your sins on the cross. Be among those who have believed and that benefits you. Trust in Jesus, the one who died and was raised from the dead. Well, I want to lead us in prayer right now as you make your decisions. Our band's going to come up and lead us in a closing song. But right now, let me lead us in prayer.